Hey everyone, Dave here from Saturday Morning Cartoons with your weekly pre-show announcements. First up, a shout-out. This one comes from YouTube commenter Zoe Burnham. In the comments of our recent episode for Season 3 of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, Zoe says, If you do give me a shout-out, can you call me Zoe Fizzy Unicorn who has a dog called Birdie, so all my mates believe it's me. There you go, mates. Believe it's her. As opposed to that other Zoe Burnham from down the street. It's not her. It's the one that I just said. Anyway, if you want to get a shout-out, you can either leave a comment on one of our episodes, subscribe to our Patreon tier that gets you a guaranteed shout-out on each and every episode, send us an email at saturdaymorningcartoons at gmail.com, remember that it's morning with a U, or call the cartoon hotline at 202-681-4406, and remember, if you leave us a cartoon suggestion on the hotline, we are legally obligated to cover it on the show. On today's show, I'll be reviewing the new Netflix special, Rocco's Modern Life, Static Cling. And as a special bonus, our listeners will also get to hear from Rocco's creator himself, Joe Murray, who joins us all the way from Belgium to talk about the new special. So now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the Collider Weekly Podcast for all things animation, including news, reviews, and interviews. I'll be your host, Dave Trumbor. My co-host, Sean Paul Ellis, couldn't be with me today because it's laundry day, and that's a very dangerous day. On today's episode, I'll be covering the latest news from the world of animation, followed by my review of the new Netflix special Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling, and after that, stick around for an extensive interview with Rocco's creator himself, Joe Murray. But first, the news! There's not a whole lot this week either, so feel free to skip on ahead if you're not interested in the latest animation headlines. First up, from Sony Pictures Animation and Rovio Animation comes their sequel, The Angry Birds Movie 2. That's opening in U.S. theaters starting Friday, August 14th, but even more importantly than that is the animated short that will be playing before it. From creator and director Matthew A. Cherry comes Hair Love, an animated short film that set a Kickstarter record for short film financing to the tune of $280,000. The short centers on a father learning to contend with his daughter Zuri's wonderfully wild hair, and it absolutely must be seen in person to believe it. Luckily, fans who go to see Angry Birds 2 in theaters will get to do just that. Expect to hear more talk about hair love when it comes time for an awards discussion later this year. Secondly, this week we saw a new official trailer for MGM's animated family film, The Addams Family. It finds the first family of Halloween back on the big screen in their first animated feature film, Build as, and I quote, funny, outlandish, and completely iconic, end quote, the Adams Family movie aims to redefine what it means to be a good neighbor when the title terrors move to New Jersey. But it remains to be seen if audiences will give this one a chance. Perhaps star power provided by voice actors like Oscar Isaac, Charlize Theron, Chloe Grace Moretz, Finn Wolfhard, Nick Kroll, and Snoop Dogg will give it a boost. But that's enough news, now on to my review of Rocco's Modern Life, Static Cling. Before I get into the review, it's my pleasure, as always, to hand the mic over to Bobby Anthem, who's going to tell you just what the Netflix special is all about. After being in space for around 20 years, Rocco and his friends attempt to conform to an even more modern life in Old Town, where coffee shops are on every corner, food trucks offer multi-layer tacos, touchscreen O-phones are being upgraded on a near-constant basis, an instant print kiosk has replaced Rocco's old job at Kind of a Lotto Comics, and radioactive energy drinks turn their consumers into mutants. Thank you, as always, Bobby. So, normally this is where I launch into the review to talk about the good, the bad, and the LOL. 
uh, but I wanted to talk about something a bit more serious first. As you may have heard or read in the news this week, Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling features a storyline centered on a transgendered character. While I talked to Joe about this decision in my interview, I wanted to address the character of Rachel here first. It's a tricky subject and something I haven't had a lot of experience with prior to this review and interview, but it was a great opportunity to learn more about the transgendered community. For example, it's taboo to refer to a transgendered person by their previous name, known as a dead name. And this is a no-no in the trans community. But does that apply to cartoon characters with a long and complex history? Absolutely, especially when a story like the one in the Rocco special aims to include that character as representation for the trans community. Does it make it difficult then to explain who this character originally was in the 90s without getting into dead name territory? Yes. But is that impossible? Not at all. This was something I learned while talking to Murray and speaking with representatives from Netflix, who were all referring to guidelines set by GLAAD and that organization's representative, Nick Adams. But I'll be honest, my knee-jerk reaction was to think that they were taking things a little too far in avoiding the dead name, especially since it was for a fictional cartoon character. There's a good chance a lot of you out there feel the same way, and I know for a fact that a lot of my colleagues did too. But all it took was a little time to research, a tiny bit of understanding, and the ability to connect the dots to my own experiences with trans people from my own life to say, oh, this isn't about labels or political correctness, it's about understanding the culture of a community that I'm not a part of, and respecting the things that they know so much more about, because they live it. So while I won't be mentioning the character of Rachel by anything other than that throughout the, this review, it's possible that some incorrect names or pronouns will appear in the interview itself. Things get a little complicated when trying to talk about the same character in the past and in the present and giving people out there a reference so they know who we're talking about. But I hope that, if you happen to have any misgivings about including Rachel in this storyline, you'll take a breath, take some time, and do a little exploring of your own to see why this character is so important in our modern media. Now, about that review. Here's the good stuff. Joe Murray is back with the original voice cast, including Carlos Alasraki, Tom Kenny, Mr. Lawrence, Charlie Adler, Linda Wallum, and Murray himself. They haven't missed a beat, and it feels like they're straight out of the 90s, and I mean that in the best possible way. Though they didn't work with the exact same animation teams for this special, Murray did track down folks who could work in the traditional art style of the original series. It's beautiful, big, and bold, and it looks like a polished-up version of the 90s series, just on a bigger screen. There's actually, like, in-jokes in the special itself about the idea of taking, uh, it's not Rocco, but taking fatheads into CGI territory and how horrific that would look. Imagine a CG Rocco for a moment and then just be glad that this is a traditional 2D animated, uh, hand-drawn animated Rocco. There are also tons of Easter eggs scattered throughout the special. Fans of the original series will want to watch it multiple times to try to catch them all, even when the show itself is making fun of you for trying to do just that. Yeah, there's a lot of self-referential humor, fourth-wall-breaking, interesting dichotomies throughout. Static Kling and Murray himself know that there wouldn't be a series, let alone a special, without the rabid fan base that's made the show so popular, but there are some well-meaning jabs at fandom culture thrown in throughout the story. That's what makes the idea of Rocco being a super fan of the Fatheads so intriguing. But while Rocco's single-minded quest to get the Fatheads back on the air is sort of the action-driven plot of the special, the emotional heart is the rocky reunion between Ed Big Head and his daughter Rachel. Neither Sean nor myself expected it to take this turn while we were watching it, and it took us a little while to wrap our brains around it, but we ultimately felt that this decision was the best for the story overall. And now for the bad stuff. There really isn't anything bad about this special, so that's kind of nice to say. The only gripe here is that it's too short. At 45 minutes long, it just feels like a two-part episode of Rocco. 
And that's great. We were just left wanting to see more adventures now that Rocco and his pals are back on the Earth. Uh, and with that short runtime, there's just not a lot for Heifer, Filbert, Spunky, and the Legion of supporting characters to do. They do get some screen time, so it's nice to be able to see them actually like back in action. You see a few supporting characters that you know and love for a few seconds here or there. They just don't have that much to do, and it's not really enough. But that's really it for the bad stuff. So here's the LOL. We always like to end our reviews on an LOL, on, a, on an up note. It's clear that Murray and the writing team have not lost their step when it comes to the subversive humor for Rocco's modern life. If anything, moving Rocco and co. into the modern era has given them more material to work with. Watching the trio react to all the gadgets and gizmos that have popped up and become ubiquitous in the last 20 years was too funny, but the speed at which they become enamored with it was also too real. There are so many subversive jokes in here, but perhaps my favorite is Murray's slightly socialist jab at megacorporations who fail catastrophically, only to be bailed out again by the little guy. This time around, however, a redistribution of wealth from one of those corporations makes all the little people much happier, for a little while at least. If you like little commentaries like that, there's a lot to love in Rocco's modern life static cling. But that subtitle? It's never explained. And if you have an answer for it, I'm all ears. Now, speaking of answers, it's time to hear from the creator himself. And as a quick technical note on the interview, it was done remotely over the phone, so there may be some audio issues every once in a while. We tried to smooth those out, so hopefully they'll be fine. With that out of the way, here's my chat with Rocco's Modern Life creator, Joe Murray. What is your mindset kind of waiting for to see how the world reacts to Rocco's Modern Life static plank? What's that been like? <laughs> it's a little strange because it's been so long since we finished it. So, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a little nerve-wracking. I, I, you know, I, I don't know... Um, I mean, from from the people who have seen it already, I've gotten some some good feedback, and um, I'm hoping that we stay true to what it was, and um, and also introduce some new things to say. Since you mentioned it had been done for a while, what was the process kind of like in getting this project together? As far as when the idea first came up, how difficult it was to get the original cast back together, and then you know seeing it finally get a release date. Yeah, I mean the. Yeah, I, it felt so long ago that they came to me. I was actually completing the pilot for uh, a PBS show that I have on the air right now. So it was a while ago. They called me and they uh, they just floated the idea: Would I be interested in doing something as a special for Rocco? And and I didn't really know if I wanted to do it. I didn't know whether it was something that should be even approached. You know, but. I feel like we had, we said a lot with the original series, but then the more I thought about it and I started talking to some of the other guys who worked on the original show and, and we started thinking about the new things that, that Rocco could go through. And, and, um, so I wrote a story that I really liked and, and I told it to Nickelodeon and they really liked it. So, so they decided to move forward with it. So it, it was hard to get, it was hard to get a, a new crew together. We had a couple of people who worked on the original show. I reached out to a lot of people who, who had worked on the original one, but they, they were on the bigger, better things, you know, and, um, so we had to kind of find people that were able to, you know, we, our paint, our backgrounds were all hand painted. You know, we had to find people who were willing to, to paint in that style and that, uh, you know, find an animation studio that still did hand-drawn animation and then uh, pencil and paper and, you know, uh, and then, and then we just kind of, uh, 
immersed everybody into the Rocco culture. We we screened episodes every morning with cereal and uh, <laughs> you know, tried to get everybody on board with with what we were trying to do. So it was good, and and yeah, yeah, we finished it, and it was originally supposed to have a an air date. But then we thought, well, you know, the Nickelodeon people thought maybe we could reach a wider audience, you know, taking it somewhere else. And uh, there was already talk about what we were going to do with Netflix, possibly. And so, yeah, and, and then uh, they finally announced the air date, and here we are. Fantastic. Um, first of all, you mentioned you kind of uh, sort of set the tone with screenings of the original uh, 90s Nicktoon with, you know, bowls of cereal. This podcast is Saturday Morning Cartoons, so we are both steeped in that kind of nostalgic feel for, you know, sitting around in your PJs and watching cartoons Saturday morning with a big bowl of cereal. But it's funny because it's also this, we also do a current kind of review and critical analysis of contemporary ones. And I feel like this particular special hits both of those things. It hits the nostalgia feels, but it also tells you like you need to roll with change. You need to live in the present. So that really kind of hit home uh, with me and my co-host as well. Uh, So just wanted to mention that. As far as the uh, traditional animation feel. So you mentioned like you took pains to make it feel like it just kind of was a direct continuation from the nineties series. And you even make, you know, jabs at (laughs) CGI, a CGI Rocco, what that would look like. Um, how was, Mm -hmm. how was it getting the original cast back together though? The original voice cast. Yeah. Well, you know, I had, I had worked with a lot of them on my other shows. Um, so I was still in touch, you know, Tom King is a close friend and, and Carlos Ellis Rocky and I go to baseball games together all the time. So, you know, they, they were on board and they knew about it in advance. And, and uh, Charlie Ether, I always run into him because he's now this big time voice director in a lot of uh, studios. And so I always run into him. So he was great. And uh, Doug Lawrence, I'm still close with. So, you know, it wasn't hard to track him down. The only one that was hard to track down was Linda Wallen, who mm-hmm. does the voice of Dr. Hutchinson. She kind of fell off the radar, and uh, none of us knew where she was. And so we finally did track her down and saw her for the first time in 20 years at the voice record. But it felt like it was just yesterday that we were all together. So it, it was fun. It was, it was, you know, the only thing it was kind of difficult was there was a heavy press uh, presence at the record. So to try and, and um, get a little bit more intimate, we, we tried to get as much time as we could that first day, but then I said, let's go back in without press and without anybody and try and do it right. Because I felt like we were, everybody was kind of putting on a show. Yeah, but, you probably felt like, like fish behind yeah. an aquarium glass or something like that with everybody staring at you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were so used to. I mean, when we did the Rocco records, I was in in the room with them. You know, I didn't sit behind the glass thing and talk to them through a microphone. I was there with them, and and we were just all one big group. I always wanted to record ensemble, so um, you know, we'd all be there together, and, and that's that's the way that it you know felt like it needed to be, you know, for us to do it again. And everybody just yeah, you know, it was fun. That's great to hear, too, because, I mean, for our listeners out there who maybe uh, wouldn't be aware of this, that voice cast was like a lot of the, you know, for Ellis Rocky and Kenny, this was kind of the first 
big stepping stone for what would go on to be a huge career. And you get you kind of brought everybody in on this, and, and uh, animators that would go on to to make you know other iconic series as well. So I think it's kind of it needs to be mentioned how <laughs> how influential and how important Rocco was to sort of the last twenty years of of animation. I think that needs to be mentioned. How, what are your opinions? On that? Yeah, I mean, it was really uh, a ripe time to um, to be pulling people together who had the, the chops to do the, this kind of art. So, um, you know, Tom Kenny was a stand-up. Carlos Alvarez was a stand-up because I wanted people that could do a lot of improv work. Um, and so I brought them in. Uh, based on on how funny they were and the voices that they could do, so so uh, and and the other people like Steve Hillenberg on the crew, you know, I found him as an independent animator. I met him at a film festival where we both had independent films, and and I really wanted I I wanted something that was going to be away from the normal television that was being done. So I kind of steered away from anybody who really worked in television at the time. So that's just, that was the thing. It was, it was kind of funny, um, you know, that as soon as the word got out that I was starting to cast a show, uh, I got I got contacted by a lot of people who were already in the industry. And like Lucille Bliss called me and she said, this is Lucille Bliss, a voice legend. <laughs> and uh, Don Adams called me and said, this is the voice of uh, Maxwell Smart. And, uh, you know, it's really strange. So, so I, I'm like, I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours, but I really am looking for something different. So, so, so everybody uh, that I tried to bring in were just fresh voices, you know, that, that had always wanted to do something. I mean, Steve Hellenberg didn't really know if he wanted to work in television either. And uh, we just said, hey, you know, they, they want us to do some cool stuff on television. You know, let's give it a try, you know. And um, Doug Lawrence mm -hmm. came in. He had never directed before. And then, uh, you know, there's a famous story with Doug that uh, – when we were casting for Filbert, he stuck his audition tape into our box of tapes and didn't have a name on it. Right. And um, and I found it and said, "This is Filbert," and it turned out to be Doug. So, and he went on to you know he was Plankton and SpongeBob and he does a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I, I lucked out. <laughs> I'm happy to I'm happy to say it all worked out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, somebody did like a family tree of things that had gone on from oh yeah from Morocco, and it was pretty impressive. I hadn't really thought about it, but uh, yeah, a lot of great talent. I mean, they all would have gone on to do great things sure. regardless, but I was lucky enough to have them. Yeah, you know. it's a great start. And I mean, uh, on the Rocco uh, completed series, there's a great collection of sort of behind the scenes featurettes and there's uh, live reads with you in the in the cast from, I think, back in like 2012. One of the episodes that's really mm -hmm. featured a lot in there is Wacky Deli. You know, one of the fan favorites, I believe mm -hmm. one of your personal favorites. How do you see, to me, it seems like Static Kling is almost a logical next step from that episode. Um how would you react to that? What do you think Static Cling is uh, in terms of uh, how it would relate to Wacky Deli? I, you know, I felt like when, when we sat down, you know, I had written a story basically about Rocco coming back after 20 years and missing his cartoon and having to to uh, 
find its creator and, and, and do all that. And then the progression of Rachel as a character uh, really felt natural. And, and also, you know, it kind of, it kind of felt like, uh, that, that we were saying something about this character, but also about relationships and about change and about, you know, how things, uh, develop, you know? What, what are you going to go through in your life? There's a lot of soul searching involved and, and, and Rachel always had a lot of soul searching going on. Um, you know. It was uh, it. It does it, those those episodes, the Wacky Deli and uh, I Have No Son, which both featured the Fatheads, were um, a lot of ways very um, autobiographical for me. There was a lot, and that's why I did the voices. And, and uh, although I, I kind of got dragged into doing the voices, like everybody just said, you have to do the voice. But um, yeah. I don't know. It, it it all worked really well and, and just felt natural. I think that's that's the thing about it. Is it 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 felt like a real natural progression of of the character, and it uh, you know it just all worked out. Yeah, my co-host and I we were really fascinated about the you know the behind the scenes discussions about that kind of the the progression of how that idea came about. But then, like you said, it was just kind of like a natural thing. So was that just, um, a change that came to you? Um, was it something more personal if you want to talk about that? And I also know there's a shout out in the credits to, I believe, Nick Adams of the organization glad. So I was wondering what his kind of contributions were to the, uh, to the story and to the character as well. Yeah. Basically, you know, the representation of transgender in in the modern day has, has developed and progressed so much that that was something we could, you know, celebrate and the progress of it. And, um, and that was a change in itself. So, so I, I went to Nickelodeon and I, and I pitched it and it was a little, you know, they were a little shocked at first. And there was, there was a little bit of uh, hesitancy. And so, um, we, uh, Chris Viscardi, who was the executive who, was amazing Thomas project um, went to see Ms. Sargami, who was the president of Nickelodeon at the time. And, and she thought it was great. She said, let's do it. And she said, but only if we have glad involved to, to make sure we do it right. And I was totally on board with that. I thought that was a great idea. So it was Seema's idea and Seema and Chris to bring glad in. So Nick Adams came in and, and, and so every step of the way from the writing through the storyboards through the, you know, he, he signed off on everything and, and, you know, he made some suggestions here and there and, and we worked with him on a few, uh, development things with the character. Yeah. It worked out really well. And, and Nick loves the, the final movie. So, which I'm really glad about. Glad. <laughs> yeah. And we, yeah, no pun intended. Yeah. Uh, and we felt very much the same way because we were kind of, we were a little kind of like shocked at first, not in a bad way, just kind of like, Oh, that was unexpected. And then we were happy to see that it wasn't just there for, you know, token tokenism. It wasn't just there to throw a left, you know, a curveball in. It was part of the story. It was really part of the emotional core of the story. And we kind of came to the conclusion that if it was all just about Rocco wanting a new episode of his favorite TV show and then being upset that it was changed, that would have been an okay message, but it wouldn't have been quite as powerful without that deeper personal connection between a father and his son, now a father and his daughter. Right. 
So I'm kind of, are you at yeah. all kind of like uh, curious or worried or anxious to see how the, um, you know, the trans community or the LGBTQ uh, community responds to that? You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm curious. Uh, um, my, I took my daughter, my 18 year old daughter to the screening, uh, last week and, um, and she said, uh, you know, you're going to get some flack for this. And I said, I said, hey, how, how so? How, what do you, how do you feel? She said, you know, that, that you maybe did this as a, you know, a bit of a gimmick. And I said, yeah, well, we didn't. <laughs> we tried really hard not to do that. And, and, and I think it's, I think it's a real, I mean, I can't, I can't, you know, uh, whatever, uh, people say, you know, there's going to be those who, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get people who are purists who don't like the change. You know, there's going to be like people like Rocco was in the, in the episode that, that we changed it too much. And, and, um, it's, you know, you can't do anything about that. There's always going to be those, those people, but I feel like we came from a good place in our heart when we we're doing it. And if, if people are going to feel that way, you know, it's, it's, it's up to them. But, I feel good about it. Yeah, and so. I feel like the beauty of that message is that, you know, change does happen and it's not all about you. It's about the people around you and being able to love and accept them and whatever they're going through, you know, and whether it's a, a TV show or your own flesh and blood, you know, if people have that knee jerk reaction and they're just angry about change on whatever end of the spectrum, then they're kind of missing the point <laughs> of this, of this special. And I'd encourage them to watch it again. Right. I think, you know, and I get a lot of questions about, you know, were we, were we kind of taking some swipes at, at extreme fandom and, and, and how things can be, you know, kind of blown out of proportion, out of proportion. And, and I don't know if you know it, but like when I was doing Rocco, I, I was just getting over the death of my wife and, 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 um, and there were a lot of things going on where, the show is so big and it's so great and, you know, this is what it's all about. And the network was kind of like, you know, you, you need to put your life aside for the show. And it's like, no, there's other things that go on in, in, in your life. Not just all about shows, you know. And, uh, as much as I liked the show, I had other things I had to deal with. And that was one of the reasons why we decided to stop it at 64 episodes. 65 episodes, but, um, cause I needed to get on with things in my life. And I kind of felt like Rachel went through the same thing, you know, when we had, we had the, uh, you know, she just wanted to get done with the show with the fatheads and the, and the old series. And, and there was definitely some aching and longing, uh, something that was missing. And, and so I kind of related with that in some ways, you know, about that it's not just about the show, that there's so many different things in life. Besides, besides a, a cartoon show. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, to paint any bad picture about a, a fan because I love the Rocco fans. And if it wasn't for the Rocco fans, we wouldn't have this special right now. I mean, that's really is what made it. But, but there are, you know, a lot of important things other than the cartoon to, to, to think about in your life. And, you know, Rocco was kind of an extreme in this special too to how far he wanted to go to get his cartoon back. But I, but I wanted to bring it around at the end that there are other things. Yeah. And there's, you there's know, such an interesting, embrace. there's an interesting kind of dichotomy uh, throughout all of Rocco, but then especially in, in this special too, where it's kind of like, 
it's a little self-deprecating. It's a little fourth wall breaking, uh, talking about fandoms, but also kind of existing within that cycle of fandom too. So that was a really fascinating kind of like back and forth play uh, that we noticed in watching it. Would you say that Rocco has been cathartic for you? Or is that something that you kind of, um, you find more uh, catharsis, more outlet in your other work that you do as well? I feel like every project that I do is, is you know, has some personal element to it that, that it's um, kind of helping me navigate through whatever I'm going through. There was definitely a lot of Rocco uh, that during that time of my life, and I developed it before my wife died. So it was it was really something that uh, life is bigger than you know can be exaggerated and feel a lot stranger and more surrealistic than it really is. You know, especially when you're coming of age and and you know there's so many different things coming at you at once. And, um, you know, I, I always felt that there was something there about uh, how we feel of attacking, you know, modern day life, you know, whether it's fixing your house up or having a neighbor hitting on you or whatever, you know, so, like, there's, all, there's all sorts of things in modern life. So, uh, and I was dealing with them too. So, and, and everybody on the show, you know, we, we were putting a lot of our own stuff in there. There was a, you know, when we did the uh, the episode of uh, I Have No Son with a, with a relationship uh, between Ralph and, and his father, um, a lot of people wanted to work on that because there was a lot of that, you know, within the crew. And so there was a lot of personal feelings within the crew about the things that we were doing. And that was one of the things I think that really worked for the show. The show even I'm doing now for PBS has been a great. It's actually about travel, and these kids are traveling around the world, and here I am moving to Belgium. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm relating on it. We are, it's funny because we were like, oh, this is how Joe's going to uh, Skype in from Belgium, and we have a writer who works in New Zealand, and we have an LA office, and we have a Toronto office. And so you know, we all come together and do the same, you know, get on the same page with what we're doing. So it's really a It's amazing that you can do that today, though, that you couldn't do 20 years ago, really. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, too, to see how, how far we've come in 20 years and, and how things have gotten scarier and yeah. things have progressed in good ways and bad ways. You know, it's, it's, it's been a wild time. So I felt like it was pretty rich for us to, to do something about that. Uh, before I run out of time with you today, since you mentioned your, your PBS show, did you want to talk about that for a minute? Since I don't know that I've, um, I've, I've caught up on that one. So what's the title of that? Is it an animated show? And, and what specifically is that about? It's uh, called Let's Go Luna. It's been out since November 2018 and it's on PBS. And it's the first time I've done something for this audience, but it's been, uh, it's been really great. It's, it's, uh, it's the first storyboard-driven show that PBS has ever done, because that's the way I work, right. as opposed to script. I, I work in storyboard, and and it has a lot of curriculum. We have we have a, an anthropologist on staff who who researches every city that we go to, and the cultures, and, and these three kids travel with their parents around the world in a circus, and then Luna the Moon comes down and hangs out with them. 
when they're wherever they are. So it's it's a geography, culture type of show that, that explores the world around us. And you know, even though it was developed before all the uh, Trumpism went down, I feel like it's really relevant now for for kids to understand that there are other people around the world that are different and the same together. No, absolutely. I feel uh, like we we can always use that. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel, you know, everybody in the crew really feels like we're doing something substantial and, um, and it's, it's really got a great response and, and it's funny. You know, I try I try to make it so that, cause I've watched some shows with my kids when they were younger that I wasn't crazy about. <laughs> it was kind of painful. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my goal with this was, you know, let's have something that parents can watch with their kids and, and um, and it's still, you know, I mean, it's a far cry from from the the, the, the stuff, you know, the subject matters we did on Rocco. It's just, it's uh, we're still within the PBS, you know, brand, yeah, exactly. which I respect. So, um, but I also I have a six year old and a three year old, so a six year old is one of my top advisors <laughs> on, on what to do with the show. It's a perfect test audience, right there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Every every time I get a rough cut to look through, I screen it with him, and he tells me what he thinks. So he needs a producer credit. Really well. I'm hoping he has that. <laughs> he does. <laughs> uh, no, I, it was funny because we were when we were, we're writing episodes. So whenever I give him a bath, he likes. He says, "Tell me a little story." Let's so um, I'll test out stories. Yeah, I'll, I'll test out stories that we're writing at the time on him. And I can tell when he checks out. I can tell when he's interested. I can tell, you know, but it really is a serious sounding board for me. Yeah. So I go back to the writer's room and I go, you know what? Lewis is not. He's not big on this part. So we're, we're going to change this. <laughs> it works out really well. But yeah, he should get a producer credit. He absolutely should. Yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be doing your job soon yeah. before you know it. Yeah. Well, he's a great artist too. He draws every second of the day. Very cool. I'm jealous. Uh, bring it back to Rocco real quick before I run out of time with you today. Now, I know you've mentioned uh, kind of this kind of came up, and you weren't exactly sure if you wanted to do the special, but. Do you think you've got a long career ahead of you? Do you think there are any other Rocco stories that are out there? Or do you feel like Static Clean kind of is a fitting kind of send off for the uh, franchise? Uh, I think there are a lot of stories out there. Actually, when, when, um, when we did this, we, uh, we had so much more material than we could pack into this. And, uh, we ended up putting out some big scenes, hmm. but, um, I think it would be great as as an episode themselves. So, um, but you know, it remains to be seen whether I, I think that it's going to see like how much interest this generates. Um, whether anybody's interested in, in working with me to do more, I'd be open to talking about it. But you know, it'd have to be the right circumstances, and uh, you know. But I, I definitely feel like there's more to say. I think the time is right still. And these, these characters, like, still feel so relevant to me. I, I don't know. They, they just, they just, they, they just worked their way right into the 21st century so easily. I, I was, I was kind of shocked by it. But there were, there's still so much to say. And I think that's, that's the ultimate, uh, 
test about whether you should do anything else. Is there more to say with it? And I feel there is. So, but we'll see. I don't know. Do you think there's any chance we might see some of those uh, deleted storyboards if this makes its way to DVD or Blu-ray? Possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's possible. Anything's possible. That's a good. Yeah, we had this whole yeah. great scene with 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 uh, Chubby Chicken. I mean, uh, Chokey Chicken, yeah. where and then instead they all got cut out. It would have been great. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to seeing that to today. Do, but... so, so hopefully that makes its way out into the world. Yeah, yeah. A big thanks once again to Joe Murray and the teams from Nickelodeon and Netflix, and a special shout out to both Sean and Bobby Anthem for being the heifer and Filbert to my Rocco. I'll let you guys fight over who's who, or you can just both be spunky. If you want to catch up with Bobby, you can do so by following along with his paranormal podcast, Inhuman Experience, with co-host Bobby Blades. Find them on Twitter at IEXP underscore podcast. Bobby also has a solo show called In Search of My Lost Soul. Both shows are available on their Mixler channel. You can follow along with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. He performs live improv comedy in the D.C. area with a group called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. You can find tickets and times at witdc.org. That's W-I-T-D-C dot org. As for me, you can find me at Collider.com or on Twitter at DrClawMD. And you can find my new book, The Science of Breaking Bad, on Amazon, MIT Press, or a book vendor of your choosing. And for more Morning Tunes, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Morning Tunes and on Facebook and Instagram at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Remember, it's morning with you each and every time you see it. And check out the Collider Weekly Podcast for new episodes each and every week, along with some special interviews scattered throughout. Next time on Saturday Morning Cartoons, we'll be catching up with another Nicktoons pal. This alien invader is getting his own Netflix special as well, but is that a good thing for us puny Earthlings? Tune in to find out when we review Invader Zim Enter the Florpus and talk to creator Jonan Vasquez. Until then, this has been Saturday Morning Cartoons, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.